0: You are now listening to Femme Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Femme. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then, it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms, like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads
1: and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
0: Hey, fam fam! It's Tessa and Carolina. Hi hi, we're here um, bringing
1: to you another amazing episode. Oh guys, we get into it. I actually we need to start up here. Can I just say <laughs> how like amazing this conversation with our guest we had on today was? Like we just we. I'm gonna have Tessa introduce him first. <laughs> but I'm so excited with this episode. Um, and if any of you are interested in like psychology and, and the sci fi film genre specifically, which is what Sync, our feature film, is all about, oh, we pick it apart today and it's yes. so good.
0: Yes, yeah, so today we have on William Indick, who is the author of Psychology for Screenwriting, uh, recommended by Ken Lee from Michael Wicey, uh Productions. And we, when he presented this opportunity to speak to Bill to us, we were like, oh, psychology of screenwriting. Like, we're psych nerds. We've really <laughs> dove into it with this specific film. And when we were diving into it, when we were doing the research and we were building the characters, you know, we really looked at like, the science of the psychology behind them. And we get into it with Bill that like that's kind of not the important thing, you know? Yeah. It's it's more about just humanity and being able to relate to these characters. So it was a really good conversation about that and you know, we talk again a lot about our film, but I think it just serves as an example for screenwriting, at, you know, these things whole, that we talk yeah. about, yeah, can be applied to anything. Um, And again, specifically sci-fi we dove deep into, but like it just, it, it all applies because at the end of the day, like we want to see a story about a character we can relate to that learns this lesson that has these epiphanies and yeah, it's just, it was such a great episode. We said several times, like, we're going to go back and re-listen and take notes (laughs) and apply it to our script.
1: Yes. So Um, grab a pen, grab a pad and take some notes and a little coffee, tea, matcha, whatever is your preference.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will say this, too, um, that even if you're not a writer, uh, this applies to just storytelling Mm. in general. You know, as an actor, as a director, like you're definitely going to get really good. Um, inspiration from this episode, regardless of what your medium of storytelling is. And, like, just life stuff. <laughs> Honestly, it kinda, we talk about a lot of things that just apply to life, <laughs> you yes. know? Yes yeah
1: and lastly make sure if you loved this episode and want to just know more about will um make sure you check out his book psychology for screenwriters building conflict in your script it's available at amazon for about 29.95 and yeah order a copy today enjoy and enjoy Well, welcome to the show. We're so grateful that uh, we got in touch with you. Shout out um yes. to Ken Lee. <laughs> He's always sent us such amazing authors that, our, and and we try to be selective and find ones that we are really passionate about. And so psychology and film is probably one of our favorite topics. Um, <laughs> we've had a bunch of directors on the show who love to talk about that and, and how it inspires their screenwriting and directing. And character and when-
0: building and yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was, I was, um, even in the, when emailing you, I was just saying like, yeah, it just doesn't go just for screen. It doesn't limit to just screenwriters, but directors mm-hmm. and actors, um, Tessa and I've, in fact, we are actors first. And I think that's partly why I fell in love with acting. I just love mm-hmm. observing human behavior and, and
0: getting into to character, as <laughs> I would say. So, yeah. And um, I got my degree in psychology. <laughs> so also, yeah, just we're psych nerds, you know. And for us, like listeners, you've heard us talk about Sync, our feature film, a lot. But that was just really exciting for us to not only dive into like, you know, the backstory of the characters we were writing, but the actual like psyche. And one of our characters who I play is a narcissist and really diving into like, what is, you know, like a psychopath, for instance, isn't like an official term, you know, and what does that mean? And why is it even a word that's used and just all of that. So that's, yeah, I,
1: I definitely have, uh, a, Questions about that for you, um, mm-hmm. but before we dive into that, we, why don't you share with our audience your background um, a little bit and and why you're so yeah invested mm-hmm. in this topic?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I've been a professor of psychology for twenty years, so um, th- that is my field. When I wrote Psychology for Screenwriters close to twenty years ago, I was uh, working as a screenwriter, not a professional screenwriter, but like everyone, uh, <laughs> business trying to figure out how to get into it. And I was studying it from a psychologist's point of view and working with other people. And um, there there were some suggestions that uh, I would be a good person to do consulting. That I could mm-hmm. talk to screenwriters about their scripts, and as a fellow screenwriter, say well here's how you could employ some certain you know psychological theories and that 's kind of where led what led me to the book and that 's what sort of kept me interested in film and screenwriting uh, for the past twenty years is this interrelationship between um, our own behaviors and our own thought processes and how those translate onto the characters we write or watch for the screen mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and I was gonna say, I just wanted to mention one thing I yeah. was looking at your uh, uh at sync and I did find it very very interesting and uh, it does sort of fit right into my wheelhouse because it's not just psychology and film but specifically media media psychology and mm-hmm. how um the new media is changing us how it's um changing the way we think and the way we relate with other people and I think that seems to be that's kind of what the your uh, script is about um uh, so I was you know uh Interested in that, and I thought, oh, maybe I I might be able to uh, say something that might be helpful.
0: uh, Yeah, yeah, I love that. Let's let's dive into that topic because it like so the kind of the message that we want to send with our script is that you know technology just keeps advancing so quickly, and as the years pass by, it it advances even more quickly in such short periods of time. Right. And there's really no safeguards in place to protect us and the human consciousness from the effects of this technology. And, you know, our script takes it to an extreme in a way, because it is specifically, you know, mind sinking, everyone is Mm -hmm. microchipped, but I mean, it exists today in our world with even just social media, you know, and it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah.
1: I feel like in a way with social media, we are, in a way already synced the creators of it. If you kind of really look at it and their backgrounds, they studied psychology to make these apps super addictive and like mm-hmm. get us really hooked on it. And our film doesn't really concentrate on the addiction, but definitely just this like connection to be in each other's lives and have access to each other like 24 mm-hmm. yeah. seven. So that's kind of where we're focusing it on. Like that human connection
2: aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that if you have a microchip in your brain, you don't need to be addicted because the company has already bought <laughs> uh, So, and so that, that kind of uh, takes the matter of addiction uh, out of control because it's, it's already uh, in the control of the corporation. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a thought the other day. Uh, and the thought was a paradox. And the paradox is, I called it the digital porn paradox, or maybe the chatterbait paradox. But it, it's, uh, the more sophisticated our technology becomes, the more primal we become. Mm-hmm. The more we're willing mm. to get, uh, uh, to sort of shed all of our human skin and human qualities and become just primal animals, just, you know, and doing in front of the screen and sharing. Uh, yeah. Showing the most base parts of ourselves for penny tips, you know, that, that that kind of idea of nothing matters, there is no integrity, there is no identity, there is no soul, there's just these electronic connections that we make for money. Uh, so that was my thought. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the idea that the more s- sophisticated our technology becomes, the more primal as uh, beings we become, uh, I, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing to explore and uh, yeah. exploring that in your script. The other thing I wanted to... Yeah you said that you have a character uh, who is a narcissist. And I would encourage you to think about it in this way. Mm-hmm. One is a narcissist. The, everyone on social media is engaging in narcissism. So it's just one degree of separation between the average Joe and a total narcissist. And I think that might be something uh, interesting to explore in your in your script. It's not the one character that's obviously a nar- narcissist. Yeah. Everybody is a narcissist. And how the character that's trying to deal with this narcissist is challenged by the fact that she's a narcissist herself
1: i love that i love that that like hits it right on the spot because i feel like my my care my character plays the protagonist and i think she's constantly faced with like her the judgment of her mother or her therapist being like it's i'm i'm my character is always the one to blame herself and versus like Mm -hmm. maybe outside forces that are actually harmful or doing you know the ill will of -hmm. of the scenario so i think i i didn't want her to exactly paint her like oh some like godly character that yeah Mm -hmm. she's she's because you're absolutely right like she is in fact an influencer and that's also why she's hooked on this technology and doesn't just like run away from it so she almost i think in a way is a detriment to herself and mm-hmm. and what she's doing but i love i love taking it even that further that to almost look into herself like okay are you are you any different or how mm-hmm. different are you then from Devin Tessa's character yeah there's,
2: there's a lot of the pot calling the kettle black on social media People say, you're a narcissist, and you're so critical, and you're so judgmental. But yeah. Literally what everybody is doing all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And back to sort of probably the most important part about, point about narcissism, it's not even my point, it's uh, Marshall McLuhan's point, which is that when you read the myth of narcissists, at no point does it seem evident that narcissists is gazing at himself. He's completely oblivious to the fact that he's looking at his own reflection. And that is the true essence of narcissism, it's obliviousness. And here comes another paradox or irony. If you're a narcissist and you're completely aware that you're narcissistic, you're not a narcissist because yeah. it's the obliviousness that really is the key. That's what makes people do bad things to themselves and to others because they're not aware of what's going on. They're not aware that the attraction in the social media is not the other people because you really don't get to know the other people. You attract right. yourself. And you're looking in this mirror and you're thinking, wow, this is so interesting because you think it's somebody else, but it's just me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because like we all like to think of ourselves as the hero in our story, right? You know, like people Mm -hmm. don't do bad things to other people for the sake of doing bad things. They do it because they're, they think they're right. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes complete sense. It's just that obliviousness. Like, like you said, if you, if you're aware you're a narcissist, you're probably not a narcissist, you know? Yeah. And that's that's why,
2: you know, these characters you're exploring are interesting because you have a protagonist and an antagonist, um, but there's a thin line between them. And Mm -hmm. I think that that line should get thinner and thinner as the film proceeds so that, you know, both characters are completely oblivious as to what they're doing or why, but it's completely engaging because everybody could look at them and be like, oh, my God, that's me.
0: Yeah. And that was important to us, too, with, like, writing my character. Like, yes, she's the antagonist, but we didn't want her to be, like the villain you know like we wanted people to be able to relate to her as well and realize like oh something's off here but not like oh she's crazy you know so that was very important to writing someone writing. like
1: we were like we're trying to stay away from that stereotype that you know people because she then does borderline on on like and this is where I love to like pick your brain about like we were I was then reading a book on like trying to understand like um psychopathy and sociopathy and how mm-hmm. like when in studies on in the book of psychology I'm butchering what that that name with all the terms that it's not actually something that can be measured like anorexia for example where you can really measure the the the, the nutrients in the body to understand their deficient uh you know a def- mm-hmm. there's a deficit in XYZ so with psych psychopathy, like you can't like measure that in the brain. And so it actually isn't a real term. Is that, am I at all like, is that what you believe? Is that at all? Like what psychologists currently believe? I'm very curious because that was something that came up in my finding and -hmm. what led me to then be like, you know what? I don't have to like pin a term on Devin, this, this antagonist character. Mm -hmm. She can just live by what she wants is control. She wants control over people, and then she's also using the tech to kind of get into people's heads more. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of like her her name in the game, right? Yeah. Um,
2: just in, in terms of term, in terms of terms like psychic yeah. <laughs> and uh, narcos, narcos narcissistic personality disorder, all of those terms are metaphors for personal states, behaviors, and thoughts that um, people experience and sometimes have trouble adjusting to. Psycho- Psychological disorders are, are not medical disorders. So like when you ask me, like, well, what do psychologists in the field think? Psychologists in the field are very confused and bef- uh, because we had this field that was clearly understood as having these so-called disorders that are really just metaphors for the human condition. And then along came psychiatric medication and the push came, okay, well, everybody who has a disorder can be medicated with some type of medication. And once you're giving people medication, you can't, you can't medicate a metaphor. You mm-hmm. have to medicate the brain. You have to medicate uh, biology. So it became very, 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 very much focused on what you can measure in the brain. And the actual truth is you can't measure anything in the brain as, huh. well as psychological disorders. Even with anorexia, you can measure somebody's weight. And if they're right. 50% below the normal body weight for a person that size, then they're anorexic. But you can't measure their brain. So we're all very, very confused. Hopefully we'll get over this confusion and we'll <laughs> our addiction on psychiatric medication as the only primary cure for any psychological problem. But to get back to what we're saying, we're talking about metaphors. Metaphors are not suited for medicine, but they're perfectly suited for the screenplay because <laughs> you're, there's a metaphors, and everything you're going through is a metaphor. So you don't have to worry too much about psychopaths and narcissists. You can use those terms as freely as you want because they are metaphors and there is no sort of clinical, medical, measurable yeah. requirement.
1: No, yeah. I, I I think but, that I don't know about you, Tessa, but that's kind of like gives me a breath of fresh air around it because it's like for a while I was really just in our Google Doc just trying to doctrine this whole like the chemistry of Devon because that is important to me. Again, mm-hmm. we nerd out on this and like mm-hmm. um, I think clinically antisocial disorder is really what I feel like psychologists then turn to to clinically diagnose someone. I remember
0: mm-hmm. Um
1: Get based on just kind of how their personality around that and then the metaphors of as you're saying um, mm-hmm. psychopathy and sociology as sociopathy comes mm-hmm. into play
2: let's take let's take sociopathy as an example of this metaphor because you know you're, you're thinking about writing a psychopathic character mm-hmm. um, so it goes back about a hundred years to when people were trying to figure out the problem with criminality why are there so many criminals? Why do they keep on repeating their crimes and going back to jail? Why is it such a scourge on society? And the uh, psychologists and philosophers came up with a term called uh, uh, constitutional psychopathic, or uh, constitutional psychopathic inferiority was the term. And bet mm-hmm. was that some people have something deficient in them, which causes them to be not good people. <laughs> That's all I <on> <laughs> As the century progressed, that term was shortened to psychopathy, which simply means that somebody has a way of thinking that affects their behaviors in a way that makes them do bad things. That's all that means. to the 60s, the same term was changed to sociopath, which means that here's somebody whose thought patterns get them to behave in ways that are not good because they were raised wrong. There's something in their environment, their social environment that made them bad. It Mm -hmm. changed change their basic good human nature into bad nature. Then as we get into the 70s and 80s, and 90s, we get the term uh, antisocial personality disorder, which means <laughs> the person is doing antisocial things. There's something wrong with their personality, but we don't know what it is because personality disorders are not clinical disorders. So being diagnosed okay. with antisocial personality disorder means totally nothing. All it means is you've got some issues that people tend to have. So with that in mind, well, what is the psychopath in your script? Is it somebody who is a good person who was turned bad by society? Is he a sociopath? Or is he, was he born bad? Was there something deficient in his brain that made him do bad things? Or is it a combination of both? Or is it the environment that he's currently in, the social media environment? Mm-hmm. Um, or just psychopathy by total anonymity. You can say and do whatever you want and there are no consequences. Um, and, and you can manipulate people. You can get people to do things that they normally wouldn't do, uh, all the while you're remaining anonymous and, and you're not letting them know anything. So yeah. we, ha- we have this medium that encourages psychopathy that's based in narcissism. So you're a psychopath. <laughs> where, where did <laughs> that come from? You have to decide that in the script. You know, what yeah. would the viewer think? Uh, Will your viewer be able to relate more to somebody who was born bad or somebody who became bad as a result of their childhood or somebody who was turned bad by that very same medium that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, I really like that because I don't think that we have explored that nearly as much as we should with with the character of Devin. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really like the idea of it being... Her environment and specifically, yeah, like social media and just the way that everyone communicates more so than like, you know, her childhood or whatever. Um, Because I think, again, that speaks to the whole message that we're really trying to relate with this film. Um, And it, you know, it really speaks to like our film is set in the near future. So it's like it's not, you know. 200 years from now, it's like a few years from now. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's already in the environment that we're living in. We're, we're already heading in that direction. So it's not mm-hmm. like she just got influenced by this, you know, last year and has become this psychopath since then. Like this yeah. has been brewing as long as she can remember, because this has been the world that we've been in.
2: I, ha- I have one thought about your technology. Yes, yeah. You said it's a few years in the future and not mm-hmm. a year, hundred years. Um, microchips might be coming, might not. It's the most invasive way of controlling someone's brain. The uh, 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 and I don't see people within a couple of years running out to get microchips implanted in their brain. But there's other ways of doing it. So, for instance, um, a basic hearing aid works by you put it in your ear. The ear, uh, uh, the transmitter sends electrical signals into the brain, and then the brain decodes those signals into sound. So it's a mm-hmm is that meaning you don't really need a microchip you just need a device it could be a hat it could be something you stick in your ear like a headphone so that might be something to consider you know uh, because with science fiction everyone's immediately in critical mode and you're like oh that technology couldn't exist or that technology couldn't work That mm-hmm. so, so you don't want to uh, uh, overachieve in your technology you want to make it as simple as possible so it could be as real as possible
1: yeah, I I saw a Black Mirror episode actually where they did that. I don't know if Tessa, you've seen it. Maybe I'll send it your way, where yeah, they they are able to kind of almost teleport into another world with their like because the ear device yeah. like sinks them into like exactly a Star Trek <laughs>
2: environment.
1: And, it's funny. Yeah. Um, and that's even
2: that's even more scary because yeah. with the chip you figure if you have these people with their microchips in the brains, well all right, it's their fault. They agreed to have it done. So they volunteered for it. But if it's just something that you stick in your ear that you don't know is going to have that effect, it's much more of an innocent victim being lured in by psychopaths. And I think that's how we feel right now. We're all innocent victims and we're all being lured in by these psychopaths who are making hundreds of billions of dollars off of our narcissistic needs.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's well said. (laughs) Yeah, and I... um. That is, yeah, that's something we've we've played with a lot. I, at this point, yeah, we're we're still like, I think I don't know, Tessa. We're we're just working it out to the best we can to what we think we've written. So that's something definitely gonna have to have to circle back on because I agree like I don't ever I the whole point of the tech I didn't want it to seem super complicated um to, and it has with, to
2: be simple yeah yeah
1: and sync itself is the way it's set up so let me explain a little further is so everyone's microchipped as that's just kind of like now social it's currency. become the norm yeah it's like mm-hmm. what everyone is able to use to pay um and so that being said, maybe not in a couple years but like I don't know. Things could happen within the decade (laughs) for sure. And so, um, yeah, the, the chip is just like social currency, especially with amongst like, of course the wealthier demographic, they're able to like, just, it's like using a QR, um, code for your phone. You're able to pay, you're able to pull up information. And, and so you have like a chip that exists right here. That's also connected chipped into your brain. So, The two. This is just Mm -hmm. easy as like your passport kind of vehicle. So then with Sync itself, it's actually the new communications app, like a new app that would appear on your phone. This is like a new application for for this tech. And it's served the way it's commercialized is that it's a way for us to. For humans to understand one another better, better, have more empathy, and be able to communicate obviously much faster and, mm-hmm. and efficiently. And build kind
0: of a collective consciousness. Right.
1: I don't know if I would say that's then game. I think that's something people would worry about.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's kind of a thing, is like it, it that that collective consciousness is essentially what it's building to, but it's yeah, you know, they are marketing it in a way that that is a good thing for X, Mm, Y, and Z versus people are questioning it because they think it could, it could um, be dangerous (laughs) for X, Y, and Z reasons. But it's like either way, that is kind of what it's building to. And there's
1: some safety measures in place to access the app, but it's like very like when you really like, I think, get into it, even with the safety measures, I think in tech when you're doing something so, um, Intressive. Invasive. Invasive. Yeah. yeah. Like there's just, there is no way of going back once that, there is no reversal mode. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, they say there is, there's a way you can not reverse, but stop it. Like you can always stop. And I think in, we believe it, it just doesn't work that, yeah. that way.
0: Well, that's kind yeah. of, that's another message um, that we want to kind of convey is, Like with the Sync app, you can stop it, but you can't reverse it. So you've already had these experiences. You've already had this connection, seen this other person's thoughts and and memories and all of that. And it's kind of relates to toxic relationships, which are also prevalent in our stories. So, you know, with a toxic relationship um in this case it's roommates friends but it's kind of easier to speak about it in like a romantic relationship just because that's a little bit more black and white but you know like Mm -hmm. when you break up with someone you end it right but all of that damage and baggage is still there you can't take back the experiences that you've had
2: and how do you disconnect with someone if you're on facebook instagram twitter emails text messages phones uh, (laughs) connected in so many ways that are not real connections they're physical connections but still if you want to disconnect with somebody physically how do you do it <laughs> and there's 20 different ways
1: that ways get yeah. to get to you and that's and, like yeah. something that I think um I mean people who've been in like domestic abusive relationships or in, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. can be a roommate still like or in any kind of sense mm-hmm. it's like it's like, the bad ones, they'll still stalk you on all mm-hmm. the apps, on mm-hmm. all the devices yeah. to get to you. So, yeah, we live in a world where, again, access is just so easy to be had that it's like, how can we, like, completely disconnect? Like, mm-hmm. to your point, we can't. <laughs> yeah.
2: you, can you can get a physical restraining order, but that doesn't apply online. Right. And so much of our socialization is online that a physical restraining order is besides the point.
1: Yeah, Yes, exactly. So we're really passionate about the technology. I I love this term always. It's just it serves as the vessel for those kind of toxic relationships (laughs) and friendships, because as the writer for film, that's the truest point that I can write from my experience Mm -hmm. and what I've like been through. And like then observing the tech, that's where I was like going building the world from that that standpoint.
0: Yeah. Because with this too, I mean, it's, you know, if we're all connected with this sync app, which not everybody is yet in this, like in the timeline, but that's kind of, you know, the idea the creators of this app would like to eventually get to. um, It's just, it's taking exactly what you said about, you know, you can physically disconnect from someone but they can still see everything you're doing because the internet exists. (laughs) This is just kind of taking that to that next level, you know, and making it an extreme. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I mean, and that's what all science fiction is. It's taking our current technology, fast forwarding one or two steps ahead, and then we're sort of revealing the dangers up ahead in the road. Yeah. The dangers that we're actually experiencing now, but we're not aware of them because they're not so obvious. It becomes a condition. It's like a stress test. The inherent weakness isn't obvious until it's put to the ultimate stress.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I um to get to your book for the second edition copy that you've written, uh, you actually stated that you do like go and focus on the you touch upon the psychology of the different genres and mm-hmm. mention that sci-fi was in there. So I was like, Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we get <laughs> we get to like nerd out here a little bit on the sci-fi. So Um, I love that definition, but, um, yeah, let's get into like, kind of, um, what your book explores in terms of genres. And I love that again, Mm -hmm. it really encompasses like observing the human behavior and and how you like write that into a film.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, well, since we're talking about sci-fi, I think sort of the primary point that I was uh, making in the book when I wrote this uh, chapter on the shape of water, I wrote. (gasps) Oh, cool. Yeah. So the, the second edition has three new chapters, and uh, each one does a film analysis, but there's a fantasy chapter based on Pan's Labyrinth, and then a science fiction chapter based on The Shape of Water. Both films were written and directed by Guillermo Toro, and both films have basically the same plot. Uh, so that was my, what I was interested in saying. Well, how come that one film is fantasy and the other is science fiction, but they're essentially the same? Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I explored Is well, science fiction is fantasy. It's just a very specific genre of fantasy set in the near future, usually, in which um, technology plays the primary role. In fantasy, the, um, pr- the, prim- the primary thing that gets the action rolling, the thing that all the characters are around the, uh, revolving around is magic. Right? The magic. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, in science fiction, magic is translated into, tech- into technology. Excuse me. Um, Arthur C. Clarke said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm -hmm. And we can just—you look at your phone. How does your phone work? When you make a call, what happens exactly? Do you know? I don't really. I I know there's (laughs) going to space. That's about meaning. My phone is magic. If you ask me to, to define how it works, I can guess, and you know hem and haw, but ultimately it's magic. And we're interested, we're fascinated with magic in the same way that we're fascinated with technology. And I think that's sort of the key thing in here is if science fiction is about magic in the guise of technology, then that's going to bring up a lot of issues, meaning we're afraid of our technology because we don't understand it and we don't yeah. understand the effects on our psychology. Um, so if you get back to the core of the issue, A technology is magic that we don't understand. And it brings us these wonderful miracles, but it also, like all magic, has a dark side that we don't understand. And that puts us in great peril. Then you get that sort of the essence of fantasy, but working in a sci-fi plot. Yeah. And that's why I said before that it's important to make your technology easy. Like Mm -hmm. magic, you just say the magic word and you're in. And also don't make your technology, don't explain it too much because the whole point is, you don't understand it. The, the audience doesn't understand it. Nobody understands it. And that's why it's scary.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you said that because we struggled with that a lot of, you know, like we knew we had to understand how it worked. And no, you don't. <laughs> you <laughs> well, how know that it's magic. Yeah. That's the thing is like we, we struggled with that so much because like. Well, also
1: like our feedback was at times that we had to like really explain it. And then mm-hmm. I was just like to Who's the
2: f- audience. Oh, we've true. had <laughs> yeah. Watch any science fiction movie and wait for the moment where they explain the technology. It's one scene. It's.
1: I know. I, I have. And I was like, okay, why? I, okay. But, you <laughs> but know, I want to, I want to like, make sure we don't come across as like, this is stupid. Like, so then, I then guess. Don't
2: explain it. Because if you yeah. try to explain it, you will come off as stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
0: That's, I love um, that though. No, that's great advice. And that, it, like you said, that, that creates then that, like, feeling of magic. And, yeah. yes, I, I love exactly what you t- – everything yes. you said makes total sense. Yeah, I know. i like testing, yeah. like,
1: notes. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love that because um, – have you guys watched Severance yet on Apple? Uh,
2: I have not. I will write it down. I don't know
1: oh, uh. You are going to love it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and, yeah, they hardly – you see one procedure basically – the, the world is you can have this procedure done to sever your brain into pretty much two consciousnesses. I'm wondering oh, okay. that word. So basically you have C- consciousnesses. Oh, <laughs> um, so you have your, your daily, uh, your work life brain that you, when mm. you enter and you work for this, obviously this company that once you enter you're, you're in that work brain. And then when you go home, you go through the elevator shaft and you're now tre- like teleported right. back to your day brain and you don't remember either or. So okay. That's interesting. it kind of like, I feel like the, again, they don't explain why it's an advantage, but you see based on the characters that are there, it's because they probably had a traumatic thing happen in their life and they want to escape it for eight hours a day mm-hmm. to like just get through the day and then yeah. go back. So it's very, yeah. And I, I was just... Again, when I was observing it, I just they you kind again you can just see it without having it to be so explained, mm-hmm. and I guess we uh, put a lot of pressure mm-hmm. <laughs> on ourselves to yeah. to make it bulletproof. Yeah, well, it,
2: it's co- confusing because you think, okay, science fiction. This is about science, so the science has to be the strong point. The science has to be the rock hard core of the story, but it's a MacGuffin, as Hitchcock said. It's the thing that (laughs) leads in the direction, but the thing in and of itself is unimportant and does not need to be explained. And the less you explain it, the stronger it is, because it's the thing that's supposed to be curious and supposed to be mysterious and it's supposed to be magical. And I think when people try to take the technology, the magic, and turn it into technology for the purpose of sci-fi, they make a mistake. It it should remain magic. Obviously, you have to put a disguise on it and call Mm -hmm. it technology but its essence has to remain magic because that's what we're afraid of and huh. drawn to
0: at the same time. Hey, fam, fam! have you heard us raving about Jambox yet? Because let me tell you, it's such an amazing tool for filmmakers, podcasters, advertisers, and anyone who needs music for their projects. Jambox.io
1: is so versatile. They've got songs and sound effects organized by artists, genre, mood, and tags.
0: And they're actually affordable. For as little as $9.99 a month for independent creators, $6 a month for students, or $19.99 a song, you can choose whether a subscription-based membership or a la carte pricing works better for you. And they're flexible. For individual creators, to commercial, to advertising, to theatrical release, they've got you covered.
1: Plus, they're constantly growing and evolving. With new songs and playlists all the time, and customer service on point, they really do have everything you need.
0: We've been working with them for a while now and couldn't be happier. That's why we have a special coupon code for our listeners. For 10% off your
1: purchase, make sure you enter code FEM10 at checkout. That's FEM, F-E-M-M-E, 10 at jambox.io, where they connect creators with ridiculously good music and sound effects.
0: Yeah. And that makes sense, too, in the world of just entertainment, you know, in fiction mm-hmm. is like when you write dialogue and you write like these stories that are happening, it's mm-hmm. it, it there's something special about it that's different from just real life. You know, otherwise it would just be a documentary. <laughs> like right. That's the whole point is to be entertaining, to have that like sense of mystery and, and magic and everything. So that completely makes sense for their mm-hmm. for writing about like technology and science to have that just sense of mystery because it is mm. entertainment and fiction.
2: <laughs> and there's a, there's a basic plot structure to science fiction, which is relatively unavoidable because it's inherent to the genre. Uh, so the challenge is not to avoid this basic plot structure, but to disguise it, to make it mm. seem, you know, even if it's thousands of years old. So with science fiction, it's this idea that uh, humanity is essentially good that we're natural creatures attuned to the natural world, and then technology enters as the serpent into Eden, and technology corrupts us. It takes our natural state and turns us inside out. It turns us into creatures that are unnatural and uncomfortable in our natural environments. So um, in order for the plot to resolve itself, the person, the protagonist or whoever it is, the victim, has to overcome that technology somehow, whether it's Mm -hmm. by plug or destroying the magic right. scientist or whatever. They have to overcome it and the thing that allows them to overcome this technology that is evil because it's, de- because it's dehumanizing is the inherent humanness of themselves. There's something about them, their heart, or their soul. There's something human that is not te- technology, that is not quantifiable, that is not measurable, and that is magic too. So that indefinable element, let's call it the human soul, mm-hmm. that's thing that destroys the magic, <laughs> the evil technology, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But it's the same fantasy plot, right? Um, it's it's Frodo's um, uh, good good nature that destroys the ring ultimately, mm-hmm. not any other sort of powerful magic. Uh, and it's the same thing in technology. It's Importantly, it's not technology that destroys technology, because then you're just sort of going in circles. It's right. the basic humanity of your characters that overcomes the technology.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction because I think we do get wrapped up a lot, like, with science fiction, science fiction in, you know, the tech and the science and right. in fantasy, in the magic. And you're right. Like, that's not really what it's about. Right. It's it's about that humanization, um, like humanity overcoming yeah, the thing that's blocking it. Yeah, yeah.
2: And so that's, that's helpful for me when I'm talking about science fiction and fantasy. And I think it's helpful for science fiction writers, A, so you don't have to worry about the technology, B, so you can get to the heart of the story, which is a fantasy right. about magic and humans trying to be human. Yeah. And um, in the end, um, just so, so you know, watch a fantasy movie. How much do they explain the magic? Magic is unexplainable. Right. Magic. That's the whole point. And then, if you apply the same uh, uh, ethos to your to your technology, that's it, it, it's magic because it cannot be explained, and it's scary because it cannot be explained. Then again, you get to the heart of things.
0: Yeah, I really like. Sorry, I'm just like soaking all of this I, in. me because, too. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, and um, sorry, I'm thinking how I want to say this, but like, yeah, because it it kind of then makes. Like for our story, it almost makes the technology the antagonist in a way. Because, exactly. yeah, exactly. So I'm just like rethinking all of this. Um,
2: but, but you have to remember that the technology is just a tool. Yeah. Like a, right. When people say, oh, guns are obviously guns kill people and people kill people with guns. Right. But yeah. What they say is, oh, people don't kill people, guns kill people. Yeah. Or the opposite. Guns don't people. Keep... But the point is, there has to be somebody wielding the gun to make yeah. it.
1: Exactly.
2: And there has that's to be somebody Yeah, there has to be somebody who created or is using that technology for evil purposes for it to be evil. So uh, 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 Quentin Tarantino has been making a lot of revenge fantasies, um, like Inglorious Bastards and um, Django. These are revenge fantasies, very elaborate revenge fantasies, which people love, because there's nothing as motivating as revenge. And there's nothing as um, identifiable as a character in desperate need of revenge. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about our society right now, the society that's almost enslaved by these media corporations that literally own our thoughts, um, there's a great revenge plot there. And it's not against technology.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's such a, um, uh, like a release, I guess, that people get from watching a lot of films is like, they kind of get to live out that fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, essentially through that character.
2: Like, like I just had an image of the end of the movie The uh, Fight Club with Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, that end where like the world, as we know it, is sort of brought down and destroyed, the skyscrapers are falling. Um, that was an interesting ending, but I felt like, okay, where where's that coming from? This guy just hates society, he's an anarchist, okay. Um, there was no strong motivation to just dis- to turn all the tables and destroy everything other than one person's psychopathy. But in a case where literally all of society is enslaved by this evil emperor, who if Jeff Bezos or you know whoever it is that controls everything, up to the point of your own mind, then yeah, I think there's tremendous um, desire, not just in your characters, but in everybody watching the film, to see some kind of payback or comeuppance for these uh, emperors, these tyrants of our own thought processes.
1: Yeah yeah there's there's God. definitely uh, the we follow along that sci-fi structure you were talking about about mm-hmm. destroying the tech like to to overcome it like my character mm-hmm. has that final moment. but again with our message in the film, it's not very heartwarming mm-hmm. <laughs> with the added ending scene where something happens that might indicate that the scene mm-hmm. wasn't compl- like wasn't stopped even yeah. if she destroyed the tech. So yeah. she, she gets that moment, but then to to go back to what our message of the film is to make, again, our whole, yeah, to what we're standing for is that, yeah, it doesn't doesn't work.
2: Yeah, you have to get to the heart of what you're trying to talk about. And what you're trying to talk about is not technology. Technology is the MacGuffin. It's the yeah. thing that draws you in, it's the white rabbit that draws you into this world, but it's not the thing mm-hmm. you're interested in talking about. You're talking about people and human nature. Yes. So yes. What is the struggle? I what are the thing? What is the thing that everybody in your society and everybody in our society is trying to overcome through social media? A, a myriad of things.
1: Um, yeah.
2: To me, to me, it's loneliness. That's the thing we're looking for.
1: Yeah. we're looking, yeah. For,
2: we're looking for a friend or someone who's going to care about. Exactly. Us. Exactly. All, but all we see are sort of reflections of what we want. Um, it, uh, your film reminds me somewhat of the movie Her, Spike Jones. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, that
1: was not Amy yes. Adams lovely, lovely <laughs> yeah. movie.
2: And I think yeah. in that movie, when you watch it, you say, well, "What is that movie about?" It's clearly about loneliness. Yes, and, and, yes. It, and there's no doubt. Like when I say that, there's no one's like, "No, it's about technology, or it's about this or that." No, it's about loneliness and, yeah. and a very lo- lo- very lonely people in a very lonely society fooling themselves into thinking they can make meaningful connections online. Um, so yeah, so maybe that's what your movie's about. Maybe it's not, but the idea is when people watch your movie, they should be able to summarize it in one word, (laughs) what it's about, whether it's about loneliness or fear or desperation or revenge, whatever it is, you you have to, you have to be able to summarize it in one word or else there's no cohesive core.
1: Well, and for me, it it always comes down to control. Um, and and, that's what it's about. Then that's what it's about. And, but our character, even in our log line, we always describe her as this lonely character who's trying to like escape all these controlling forces because she wants connection, She wants that genuine friendship at the end of the day and, and not to finally feel, that everyone around her just does. Yeah. Isn't doing her that, (laughs) isn't doing it for her. So she goes back to, yeah, being like feeling very lonely for sure. Hmm. I, I, um, Hmm. No, it's it's so helpful to, like, have these discussions because you then, like, look back and be like, yeah, I because that's what helped me stay focused, too. It's like you mm-hmm. need that one word, I think, as a writer to come back to in mm-hmm. order to be your guiding compass as you continue to write. So, that's like, for it. our listeners, that's like, for me, it was control, like, and going back to, like, this, the, the, the relationship. What am I trying to fight out of, like, in every conversation, you know, to leading up to that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's like when, you know, occasionally people do ask me to consult or do scripts before I even take a look at it. I'll say, tell me what your movie's about in one word or at most one sentence. And if they can't do it, I say, "Okay, well, you've got some thinking to do. (laughs) (laughs) Get back to me when you can tell me what it's about, because if you don't if you don't know what it's about, how am I going to help you figure out what it's about?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's like in every acting class when you, you know, have objectives and tactics to get to those objectives, but you're always Mm -hmm. supposed to have that super objective, which is, you know, what does your character want more than anything for the entire story? You know, whether Mm -hmm. you just have a scene or a full script or whatever, like there's got to be that one thing. So yeah, that applies completely for storytelling as well. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, and and my friend, and my... my character desperately does want a friend I think at the end of the day like we all do mm-hmm. so that I feel like is what is so relatable like we
2: and all every, just... yeah everyone can relate to loneliness yeah that's mm-hmm. yeah. one of those five yeah. yeah. six themes that are universal and never get old
0: yeah and going back to your book again um the um what's it called not subtitle uh like uh, what's that word?
2: The secondary title is building yeah. conflict in your script. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, building conflict in your script. Um talk a little bit about that and um because we've talked now a lot about like structure and mm-hmm. you know um the things you have to have but like conflict specifically like let's mm-hmm. let's get into that a little bit and why that is like such an important topic for you with your book.
2: Yeah, and, and it's a little bit of a double entendre in the sense that you know when you think of any story, any movie, there has to be conflict between the characters and that's the that's the explicit over conflict that we tend to focus on but in the book what I'm focusing primarily on is internal conflict the conflict within the characters mm-hmm. so the protagonist who's lonely and desperate and wants desperately to find a connection but at the same time she's wary of being controlled she's wary right. of past relationships of giving too much of herself mm-hmm. of making herself vulnerable. So she's conflicted. And that's what's driving the character, not any of the conflicts with the other characters. It's the internal conflict. Yes. It is conflicted within themselves. And then when they start conflicting with each other, it becomes a lot more complicated and a lot more interesting because these are internally conflicted people conflicting externally with others. You know, you, you, uh, you exponentialize the number of issues that can occur when you have internal conflict multiplied by external conflict
0: yeah absolutely and i think like we see that again in relationships like in toxic relationships we tend to kind of blame one person right like i feel like we all know that that couple that it's like okay you're friends with one of them so you're always going to side with them because they're your friend and you think the other person's awful because they've told you they're awful and most Mm -hmm. times though it's both people not being awful but having that conflict because they're both butting heads because they both have these issues and conflicts within themselves
2: when i think of my favorite movies the ones that i can just watch over and over and over again The reason I could do that is because every time I watch it, I get a different viewpoint. I get a different metaphor that's being expressed in the film. Mm -hmm. So dealing with metaphors and not facts and technology, we're dealing everything's a metaphor. Metaphors are symbolic and they can function at a lot of different levels. And when you watch a movie and you're seeing a metaphor being played out on one level, And then all of a sudden it flips and becomes about something much bigger or something much smaller. Mm -hmm. Those are wonderful moments for the writer and also obviously for the viewer. And you've got that going on in your script. So you have this character who's conflicted. She's lonely. She wants to be in a relationship, but she's afraid because in her past relationships or current relationship, she feels controlled, controlled to the point where she feels dependent upon this other person in a way that she doesn't want to feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And she's trying to figure this out, trying to figure out this problem through her media, through sync. Mm-hmm. And then at one point she realizes this entire medium is controlling me. It's I'm becoming dependent upon it. So it's not about this one person that I'm trying to connect to, but I can't. It's about this medium that I'm using, that everyone's using. I'm trying to make connection, but it doesn't foster connection. It fosters disconnection. connection, really. Yeah. This idea of... Like, that big reveal of, uh, I call it a flip when you go from from seeing something very small to seeing something very big or vice versa. Oftentimes I use the, uh, the metaphor of figure and ground so that the character in the beginning of the movie is looking at the figure, this one person she's creating a relationship with or perhaps the one person that she had a relationship with Perhaps she's comparing these two figures and looking at them thinking, this is too controlling. This is making me dependent. This is making me lonely. This is making me angry or sad. And she keeps focusing on what's wrong with this one relationship. What's wrong with this one person. And it doesn't, until there's a flip, an epiphany where she sees it's not that one person. It's this entire medium that is doing it to me. And I'm in that medium, meaning I'm doing it to myself. That, has to be the epiphany of social media. It's not that I'm lonely and I'm looking for a connection. It's that I'm looking in the wrong place. I'm looking for people, but I'm looking at a screen, yeah. people in screens. So yeah, th- th- those are the sort of epiphanies that we need today in the twenty first century, people to realize: oh, this this technology that I'm using to cure my loneliness is making me more lonely. Yeah. <laughs> this that I'm using uh, to express myself is making me narcissistic uh, and making me hate myself. (laughs) You know, uh, those are the revelations and the epiphanies we need to be showing our audience so they can understand their medium better.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I I love, I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to replay this episode over (laughs) and over. This is so well said. And like, it just makes me, you know, yeah. These epiphanies are, are ones that I, I have t- with myself on the day today. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Listeners, let us know if you feel the same. We we want to know, you know, that you feel yeah. aligned with this message. But it's just like even at the end of the day, like I was I was criticizing myself to my boyfriend last night because um, I'm a very <laughs> like, what's the word? Um and I think this comes from the relationships I have. I, I always like analyze my thoughts and like what I think people are seeing on the outside mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. my captions on my personal Instagram versus femmer guard. Right. We are, we're very focused on what we say there, but on my personal, it's like really dumb, <laughs> like really just like what I like. I, and it doesn't really, I think speak to like the deep parts of me. And I, I was just like, Oh babe, like all of this is just so dumb. And, and he's like, you know, Carly though, like, no one cares. Like, no one is actually, like, focused on that or, like, really, like, analyzing, like, judging you on these things. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, takes me back that we we do, like, have, I think, put a lot of either pressure or time, even just time. Like, why did I have to even, like, go through that cycle of thoughts about, like, and then judgment on myself when it really yeah, doesn't matter because no one We all think it's, like, this platform that everyone's – it is so visible, right? Everyone is Mm. looking at you, but at the same time, we're all just looking at ourselves. Like, there it is. (laughs) There it is. Here I am being a narcissist, looking at myself and criticizing myself when no one cares. Like, it's just then the story
0: there. I know. I was just going to say that goes back to what you said earlier. Like, everyone is a narcissist, (laughs) really, you know? Yeah, it's like we want to think of ourselves as, like, the hero of the story, but really everybody's just – they're caring about themselves more than anything else. Mm
2: -hmm. And you know, people, um, you don't hear a lot, the term epiphany a lot in screenwriting, but I think that's the core of a screenplay is that moment of epiphany. When a character realizes something about themselves and their own situation that is relevant to everybody else in the world, that is the moment we're all striving for. That's why we go to the movies. We don't think we want to be entertained, but we want to be educated.
1: We want to learn something about ourselves.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's I why I love film. I, yeah. That's why I'm
1: glad that, like, this is when, you know, again, we also are pressured to perform in all these mediums, especially being a content creator. We have to put all these stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm like, but I, that's why uh, filmmaking is that medium for us. Like that is, I think the most empowering um, platform that we have to create something and share it. And we're trying to do it with our um, guys. If you're not following at sync the movie um, on, on Instagram, we are going to try and put more of these like messages about social media and tech on there to hopefully spark epiphanies and understanding of our film. But at the end of the day, like I am putting all my energy here so we can make this happen because I yeah. think it's the best way
2: and it's, it's such a fascinating topic because we're everybody's on it even I'm on it and I'm a media psychologist who studies the effects and I know they're
1: evil but I have to be on it just you know to be a person surviving in the 21st century um, and that's the catch 22 about it it's like I want to like not be on there, but then even as a content creator and filmmaker, I'm like I need to like spread my message and like be a voice and be with the times, <laughs> be yes. with it. So
2: we're all conflicted about social media, and the people who are most addicted to social media are the most conflicted about it. So yeah, I mean, when you get when you have characters that have chips in their brains, obviously they're going to be even more conflicted about it, but also more oblivious to their own conflict. The true narcissist, meaning they're looking and looking and looking at themselves, but they're seeing somebody else. Yeah,
0: oh, I think that's like the that's the perfect note to end on because that just like totally wraps up like everything we were everything we were trying to say without quite realizing like how to say it. I think you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great for our listeners too. Um, I'd love for them to be able, first of all, of course, to read your book, but if there's any other way that they can again, follow you on social media, anything like that that you want to share so that they can learn more.
2: Mm-hmm. The best way to reach me uh, is really just by email. I don't really do a lot of social media for a lot of the things we were just talking about. I do think it is evil and insidious, invasive. Um, and it's also a part of life that we all have to manage. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just email me, billanddick at gmail.com.
1: This was like yeah. just such a great conversation though like thank you for diving deep with us <laughs> on our film and and i hope you enjoyed it because we did like i'm yeah. ready to listen back and like um take another stab at my script for sure i just think it's always it's the work's never quite finished <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
2: um well, it was wonderful talking to you i'd be happy to talk to you again
0: thanks for listening to femregard podcast if you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals.
1: We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at FemRegard.com.